Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices, Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I'm honored to be talking again with Dr. Richard Rice. Thanks so much for joining all of us today. Well, my privilege, and thanks for the time, Alexander, that you've invested in this. I'm looking forward to another interesting conversation. Yes, and I heard so many things about our uh, part one of these conversations. Uh, focused on your early history and your work on the openness of God. Today, we're continuing with that focus, talking about the books you've published and what was going on at the time. Uh, so today, we're going to focus on the reign of God, faith and reason, and then believing, behaving, and belonging. So let's jump right in. I remember when I received the reign of God as an undergraduate student in a probably 100 level Adventist theology course. Uh, and I was so excited to uh, see, uh, kind of wrap my mind around the contours of, of Adventist theology. How did you get involved in writing this uh, textbook that was such a part of Adventist um, uh, theological training over the decades? Oh, well, thank you, uh, Alexander. It's good to be with you again. Um, I, the, the book has a kind of uh, interesting story behind it. After I had written the book we talked about last time, The Openness of God, um, I finally got a sabbatical as a teacher My oh, after a number of years. It wasn't necessarily a part of what the Adventist academic years involved, but I yeah. did get a sabbatical in a summer. And some people had suggested, why don't you say more about free will, since that's so important to the open view of God, that free creatures make decisions and so on. Um, and I started to read in that area. And I remember one of the books I read was Freedom of the Will by Jonathan Edwards, which mm. was basically an extensive uh, rejection of the idea of free will. And then I realized this could go on for the rest of my life. There's so many issues involved in free will. And I wanted to uh, do something that might show that I had accomplished something for my first sabbatical. That's important. We gave you a sabbatical. What do you have to show? Well, I thought, you know, there's something I've really wanted during the years I've been teaching now. And that is a, a book on Adventist doctrines that I could use in my classes because I taught regularly three times a year uh, studies in Adventist beliefs or something like that. And I was teaching a sequence of classes on Christian theology to upper division uh, ministerial majors largely. And I thought, you know, it'd be nice to have that because nothing that we had that was available seemed to be um, really geared for a classroom. And so I said, I, I think I can do that in a few weeks, and uh, I'll spend maybe just four weeks working on that. I'll get it put together, and then uh, I can go back to studying free will. Well, it turned out to be closer to four months, 
I remember I started on the 4th of July <laughs> in that year for some reason, and I kept at it. And when I was done, I had a manuscript of several hundred pages long. And so I had a good friend who uh, had a mimeograph machine, and I typed up stencils, and we mimeographed copies of this, and I picked the uh, title, The Reign of God, which was what one of my students suggested was a good title hmm. for uh, Adventist beliefs. And I cribbed from him without <laughs> any credit <laughs> and uh, described it this way, mimeographed it, used it as a textbook or planned to. And then I went to uh, give a talk at Andrews University to one of the uh, um, groups there. Uh, and I stayed with a good friend of mine, former teacher Fritz Guy, who was on the faculty there. Oh. And I showed him my uh, manuscript on the reign of God, and he paged through it and said, this looks kind of interesting. I wonder if Andrews University Press would be interested. And so, lo and behold, he gave the copy to the head of the, the press, and they distributed copies to uh, readers and so on who read it anonymously, and they decided to accept it for publication. So wow. I thought, wow, this is interesting. And so uh, then they said, oh, we have some suggestions for corrections and additions. Of There's course. Some things that are a bit controversial here, and uh, you can mellow that down and you soften it a bit. And then we think you need biblical text. So I found biblical text to put at the beginning of each chapter. Sure. And then uh, study questions, if it's a textbook at the end, and then suggestions for further reading and so on. So I spent uh, the next three summers or so working on that. And then the book finally came out in 1985. Hmm. And there it was. Yeah. So, well, you, you know, I was refreshing myself about the book, and I uh, noticed a comment that is there. Anyone can look it up on Amazon, uh, and it was a pastor, a currently working pastor. I think 30 years ago, he was studying theology, um, and he says that uh, he really loved the book, and he still uses it as he thinks about um, what sermons he is going to preach. So it's been uh, out in print for a long time. I, I like that you're thinking about it from a practical standpoint. There's lots of authors who come up with an idea and send it out into the world, and you're really thinking of these as tools in a kind of pedagogical process. What was most important for you to communicate with Reign of God? I really wanted to cover the range of Christian beliefs because I think um, even if you emphasize some, there are others that need to be brought into account. And I think each denomination or each branch of Christianity has certain aspects of Christian faith that they emphasize. When you think of our denominational name, Seventh-day Adventist, it's very clear that, that we are devoted to the belief that Christ is coming, and also a strong sense of how we should live now and the seriousness with which we should take the Sabbath uh, and as a kind of a sign of the remnant people, we might say. But we also, there's a, there's a whole range of beliefs that are important to us as well. 
And so I think laying it out, and I followed the traditional pattern or traditional mm -hmm. sequence of uh, doctrinal discussions that you can find in any systematic theology, starting with some sort of prologue or introduction, and then doctrine of revelation, and then God, humanity, salvation, church, last things. So mm -hmm. that was what I followed. That was the way I had been taught by Friskai in college. And so we followed, I followed that in the book, just to sort of be comprehensive. I think good theology needs to cover all the bases. Yeah. Even though there may be some specific issues that are important. So I wanted it to be comprehensive. That's something that I remember that really um, jumped out to me uh, when I was encountering is that we had an Adventist who was really in communication with the larger Christian community. And I'll share an anecdote uh, as well, because I know um, there I was in the upper Midwest and I won't mention who my professor was, but he did warn us that this was written by a Southern Californian and that some of the things in here we needed to, you know, pray for the Holy Spirit as we were reading. So <laughs> we, I survived, or you could say maybe in his mind, uh, I, I flourished too much in, okay. in, in the, uh, but I really appreciate, I think it was, it was an encounter with more than one option, especially on soteriology. It kind of, I remember it gave some space for uh, sort of a, a freedom of thought about what um, our doctrines meant. And I like that because it allowed me to engage my own mind rather than just telling me in a sort of apologetic way, what was truth and how we should defend it. I, I remember feeling um, kind of excited to, to see what the options were in there. Mm. Well, thank you for that. It brings to mind some of the different ways in which Christians have looked at these different issues. And I had to decide in the book, uh, how I, as I wrote the book, which ones I would say, this is where I think <laughs> the best answer is, and where I would say, look, these are the options, and different Christians will have different ways of, of answering them. And of course, as an Adventist book, there are certain profound commitments that we have that needed to be laid out rather clearly. But one of the areas where there are different views within the, the church um, is the uh, the explanation for why Jesus had to die, or we might say doctrines of the atonement. And there's some rather strong differences of opinion there. Others would be when it comes to character development, to what degree of, of growth and maturity and even perfection do we need uh, in order to be ready for the Lord to come. So, I mean, these are just a couple of examples. Um, one uh, that I think we'd all agree on is that the Sabbath is essential to our uh, identity and important to our worship. Yes. So I wanted to emphasize that. So those were uh, sort of decisions I had to make along the way about how to lay out the different options and the different views and take it from there. Well, it's been great getting that background. Let's move along to faith and reason. What led to that work? Well, I think when people begin to think about um, their beliefs, 
they often wonder uh, to what degree should what I believe be simply taken on the basis of divine authority, the Bible, inspired word of God, um, and then to what extent, if any, should I rely on the evidence that might be available from my understanding of the world at large, perhaps the uh, specialty in which I'm involved, if it involves serious use of rational inquiry, and uh, my religious beliefs. So there's, there's a long history of what we might call natural theology uh, or philosophical theology, and then systematic theology or revealed theology. So I had uh, the background to this book that came out called Reason and the Contours of Faith was a summer that I spent flying around the country. Uh, my wife and I were invited to go with my brother, my sister and her husband, who were heading for the mission field uh, after uh, he had completed his internship after medical school in the Northwest. And they graciously invited us to go around the country. Uh, he was a qualified private pilot. And so the four of us got in a Mooney Ranger, and he picked us up in Chicago from the Northwest, and we flew to New York and then up to New England and then down to the South and then across the Southern States hmm. to uh, California, where we said goodbye. And he and I had different views of the relation between faith and reason. Hmm. Having studied at Loma Linda, and being a very, very sharp person, um, getting one of the highest scores on the, uh, the tests that physicians have to take, you know. Mm. Um, he had thought through his religious beliefs in a very careful way and was very strongly committed to the idea that reason supported everything at least as I remember it now, that one should believe. Huh. I came to the conclusion, and I had studied natural theology in graduate school, but I'd had an experience growing up that said uh, it doesn't always make perfect rational sense to believe. So I emphasize that faith, in a sense, goes beyond reason. So to, to wrap it up... <laughs> We had long conversations to the weariness of our wives, <laughs> day after day, sort of, you know, with these prolonged discussions that, that fellow travelers can get yeah. involved in all the way across the country. And I was so, I guess you could say, uh, energized by that. I wrote some articles about it that appeared in Spectrum mm -hmm. um, way back when. And then eventually I put this book together to talk about how the reason and the contours of faith uh, relate to each other. And uh, I had reason and the contents of faith on one section, and then the other was reason and the experience of faith. Mm. And so uh, I developed that as a way of trying to lay out how do we as thinkers and believers go about relating these different aspects of our lives? Mm. Well, uh David Tracy from University of Chicago Divinity School blurbed it and said the book clarifies both faith and reason, and more importantly, their interrelationships. As you were thinking about, you know, this sort of perennial tension that we have, what was your kind of takeaway? Are you, do you, did you 
do you do you feel like the Adventist Church has perhaps grown in its understanding of how we can mix faith and reason, or do you think that um, we are perhaps tipping too far in either direction? Well, I think you could probably find, uh, let's say, segments or aspects of the Adventist population that would go for one rather than the other as an emphasis here. Mm. Um, It's noteworthy um, mentioning that this probably was a concern of uh, Adventists who received a lot of education Mm -hmm. Uh, going on into professional training that took several years or graduate school. Uh, I think the the founders of the Adventist Forum were people who were very interested in connecting a profound, deep uh, examination of beliefs, including religious beliefs, as well as scientific beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that was back in the, the 60s, the 70s, and so on. Now, I think looking at young people, uh, looking at sort of the emerging population within a good part of Adventism, there's less concern about trying to critically, carefully examine beliefs. And there may be more attention now given to community and uh, less concern about trying to make sense out of this in light of public evidence or questions that are coming. so that I, th- I, I see as a difference uh, uh, now. Yeah. Well, I r- I'm really enjoying getting the background of these books, and uh, this sounds like an epic journey. You mentioned community there, and I think that's a great segue for us to talk about believing, behaving, and belonging because of its emphasis on belonging and the legitimization of that as an important part of being a faithful member of a faith community. How in the world did this book uh, come to be? It came to be through uh, a perceived characteristic of my students in classes on Adventist beliefs. And one thing that across the board, you know, you'd have very devout students and Mm -hmm. then others who were part of the Adventist educational system because that's where their parents wanted them to go. And it was quite arranged. But the one thing that all, uh, they all seemed to agree across the board was that religion is essentially an individual matter. Mm. The most important part of your religious experience is your personal relationship to God, by which I found that they typically meant private relationship with God. Mm. And if you think about sort of, I can think of ways in which uh, evangelistic calls were made and they were made to, now we want everybody to close their eyes, bow their heads, no curious eye looking around. This has to be a personal decision. This is not something you're doing just because your family has requested it or because you need it for you know, some sort of social reason. This has to be just between you and God. And that goes well with the individualism characteristic of our culture. And so I found uh, 
when I would try to communicate what I felt was extremely important in the biblical view of, of religious experience, you've got the people of God. And in the New Testament letters, the preoccupation of Paul writing, say, to the Corinthians is, you got to get along together. Yeah. Okay? Don't think because you have this gift that you're way, way above others in the congregation. So when he lists the spiritual gifts, he puts the one that has generated some special opinion on the part of the people who have it at the very bottom, just to let them know. know? (laughs) We're all important, but if you want to rank us, you're the least important of the bunch. And I, as an apostle, of course, am the top of the list. And so I said, there's got to be a way of emphasizing the value of community And that's what led me to write this little book, Believing, Behaving, Belonging. Uh, As the introduction of the book indicates, I got the title from a a Reconstructionist Jewish rabbi who happened to join the tour that I was helping to lead in Israel, the Middle East, one summer. And he told us when he talked about what it meant to be a Jew, he said it means three things, believing, behaving, belonging, and belonging is the most important one. Mm. And so I I was trying in the book to make a case against what I called spiritual individualism and emphasize community as essential to a full-fledged, rewarding, biblically-based view of um, Christianity. Hmm. Well, this entered my life at exactly the point that I was starting to ask these sort of questions. And I just personally resonated with this focus away from this language about a personal relationship with God and helping me think about my interrelationship with uh, all of humanity and how, and how um, God was a part of that. So um, thank you so much. I did also uh, hear a, a, a critical preacher say, we don't need the three B's, believing, behaving, and belonging. We just need the one B, Bible. So I don't know if you've heard that critical review, but I do know oh, that I not like everyone, that. yeah, I don't know. I do know that not everyone was excited about this book. So tell us about the kind of publication history. Well, now that's interesting. It was turned down by three Adventist presses. Three, wow. Three. I sent it to, shall I name them here? Sure, let's name and shame. (laughs) I sent it to the Review and Herald, and they said, well, we have another book coming out on the same area, the same topic, so we don't need this Mm, one. Okay. I never found out what the other one was. (laughs) (laughs) Then I submitted it to Pacific Press, Mm -hmm. and I got a response that said, I think you've touched on a very important issue, but... um, I just think, you know, it may be a bit critical of the way some people look at the church. And uh, so we're a little nervous about that. Mm -hmm. So even though we may appreciate the emphasis you've made, probably not the the book we want to publish. I sent it to Andrews University Press Mm -hmm. and they said, well, um, it seems to us that you are addressing what is primarily a Southern California issue. <laughs> People doing their own thing. Out there. And so uh, I don't think it's uh, inclusive enough to really merit our attention. Uh. And so then, my thanks to my uh, friends at uh, Adventist Forum, they said, well, okay, we'll publish it. 
and they did. And yes. I got the title yeah. from this uh, Jewish rabbi, and I found out later uh, it was um, from a colleague of mine, uh, Jeff Gang at Loma Linda University School of Religion, that he says, well, that is sort of the, the, the threefold description of what Reconstructionists Jews uh, buy into, and the it was laid out by the founder. Hmm. So I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, didn't know the source of the three, um, but I've I've tried to emphasize that as a very important part of our experience as Christians to be part of a community, and that's sort of the background of the book. Well, that's fascinating. I actually have um, I'm holding up uh, some letters that uh, Bonnie Dwyer who was a full-throated uh, backer of this uh, book, and, um, and we're so proud that we were able to publish it. Uh, she sent out uh, email or letters um, to uh, William Johnson at the Review, um, talking about it, and also um, General Conference President at the time, Jan Paulson, uh, saying that, Dr. Rice wrote this book as his gift to the church. It's uh, to show, just as you discussed, how community is central to the Christian experience. And then she writes, we hope this discussion will help to counteract the individualistic tendencies toward religious experience that characterize many in our denomination. So um, I am really proud. Uh, in fact, we have a few copies still here and it's always a nice uh, reminder of the um, the importance, I think, of taking ideas and putting them out into the public, because this has been a book that's really had uh, a sort of influential stain power in the Adventist congregation as people have been looking uh, unsatisfied with the sort of popular articulations of faith and are looking for something uh, deeper. I also have here a kind of interesting document, and I was hoping that you talk about it. It's the original order of the uh, chapters and the um, the tripartite uh uh, organizational structure, and then the revised order. And I'm just wondering if you have any um, recollection of this process and why it might have some meaning. Well, I think um, instead of just laying out the problem and the solution, I've, I followed uh, Bonnie's editorial suggestions on how to reorder. So that's what you're referring to. So I didn't get to my way, the character of our culture, till later on in the book. Uh -huh. uh, Bonnie thought it would be more effective to, to get to the New Testament part of things earlier on, and then later on talk about the problem. But I, I, I have been so concerned about the individualism characteristic and of our perspective on things, particularly young people, that other writings of mine reflect that. For example, when I got to the when I got to the um, the doctrinal descriptions in Reign of God, I put church and community up ahead of some other things. So I didn't want it to be 
sort of postponed way down toward the end of the book, as it often is. Mm -hmm. uh, doctrine of the Church comes just before the Doctrine of Last Things. I wanted community to come a little earlier in the agenda. So if you look at that, um, the order, you'll, you'll see that. Uh, may not be so obvious, but, but that was important. And um, I, I'm still committed to that because I guess it goes way back to when I was a child. The value of the community, the congregation to which we belonged when our family was experiencing some real uh, challenges that eventually led to the dissolution of my parents' marriage, it was, it was that community that held us together. And in a sense, it was the, the strength of that community that sort of gave me, a, what would you say, a sense of identity and support throughout my my career. Um, so I I wanted to go to graduate school at a place where there would be the most serious questions asked about Christianity and the answers given by people who weren't necessarily um, identified with a particular community. Uh, the, the challenges that our world and our society and our culture and our modern way uh, of looking at things and I, I think it was sort of my identity uh, as a Christian all the way through and as an Adventist that, that was very rewarding to me. Mm. So I could go on and illustrate those. Uh, I should just footnote that those who thought it was a Southern California problem might be interested to know that that book has been translated into both uh, Italian and Dutch. So there are other people. <laughs> Who recognize that this is a challenge that needs to be addressed. Well, I'm so glad you talked a little bit about your history um, because I was going to ask you exactly that question um, about the, the, the importance that you put on community, um, not just in your writings, but you're in, in your own life. I have one final question for you, and that is sort of looking um, to the future. We'll, of course, be talking about uh, some of your subsequent publications, but focusing just on this idea of community as you um, have poured out uh, so much of your uh, intellectual training into these publications and really drawn our attention to these areas that you see um i wouldn't call it you know problem area or areas that you wish that your community would understand about itself the gift that we have um that's just there for us to really embrace what do you what do you worry about for the future uh, do you feel like there's some more for us to learn about the importance for community, especially for, you know, folks of my generation who maybe don't understand what it means to really put down roots sometimes and, and are, are perhaps too quick to cast away, uh, to sort of um, jump on to um, a, a sort of uh, critical uh, burn it all down approach to the institutions that we feel don't um, make space for us? Boy, that is a very challenging question. Um, as I indicated earlier, I think there's been maybe less concern about um, the intellectual uh, integrity of our beliefs and more interest in what 
what uh, we find personally, privately meaningful. Sure. Um, I think there's a more emphasis on, uh, uh, a, among the people, let's say my students at Loma Linda University, maybe in their 20s, getting their professional training, and then uh, several decades beyond that, they're more interested in community and uh, in a worship service that may involve contemporary music, even Christian rock music, something like that, rather than uh, concern for the more uh, familiar uh, songs that I grew up with. Sure. Liturgical service. So I, I think there is that, that difference. And I think uh, if we're going to be relevant to the younger generation, we have to know what, uh, what issues are occupying them mm -hmm. and what interests they have. I think there's a sense in which there are strong communities within Adventism. I think one of the interesting things is the um, accessibility of different communities' discussions via the internet now. Yeah, You can uh, be on the West Coast and still participate in a Sabbath morning discussion uh, involving people on the East Coast or even uh, people in Europe will tune in and things like that. So I think I think the uh, the possibility of describing community may be more varied and even inclusive than it ever would have been in the past. Um, I mean, the fact that you and I are talking <laughs> via computers and not uh, uh, over the phone or even in person is a, is a testimony to that. So here's uh, this is an opportunity for community, and uh, it also in some ways may uh, introduce some possibilities and some complexities as well. Uh, I don't know anything about internet dating, but I understand that's become quite a, uh, an issue among younger people. How do you connect with somebody that might be compatible to develop a serious relationship with. So that uh, that's changed. It's changed our lives. It's changed the way we teach in mm -hmm. schools. It's changed the way in which physicians and patients connect with each other. It's remarkable. And it may change the way in which we think of uh, ways to establish community. I think it's one of the central issues going forward in the church. Uh, yeah. We've got a uh, someone who just wrote an article for Spectrum on that very issue, which is that as churches have been forced to be online uh, primarily for the last uh, almost two years, it's sort of restructured the way that we think of community, congregating, what does it mean? Uh, and uh, who knows um, how we're going to be doing um how we're going to be doing church, but also how we're going to form real human bonds uh, exactly. in the next few years. It's going to be very interesting to see. I think you're right. One of the great challenges facing uh, facing religion. Well, whatever challenges uh, are ahead, I'm looking forward to your writing on them. Continue to guide our community, uh, Dr. Rice. I've appreciated all the work that you've put in and Stay tuned, folks. We'll be recording a part three coming up uh, in a few weeks as well. So thank you, uh, Dr. Rice, for joining uh, us today. My pleasure. Thank you, uh, Alexander, for inviting me. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear.
The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget.